You're listening to A Prophet, a collaboration between Sakhlain and Al-Hujja Islamic Seminary. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider becoming our patron by donating at sakhlain.org support. We continue our examination of the significant events that happened during the Battle of Badr, which, is the, which was the first battle in Islam. And it was a very decisive and significant battle that lent Islam significant strength in those days when Islam had come under attack from all directions. There is one important observation here that I'd like to share with you about something that is narrated in the Battle of Badr. So if you recall from last week, the Prophet arrives at the Valley of Badr, then they choose a site, a location to encamp. The pagans had already arrived at the Valley of Badr on the southern side of it. We have some narrations narrated in books like Usdul Ghaba, Sirat ibn Hisham, Sirat al-Halabiyya, they've narrated this. The Prophet, when he arrived at the Battle of Badr, he went and he chose a site to settle and camp there before the battle. One of his companions, by the name of Al-Habbab ibn al-Mundir, he comes to the Prophet, he tells him, Ya Rasulallah, this particular site that you've chosen, is this by the instruction of God? He has determined that we shall settle in this place and we can't challenge that? Or this is something that you came up with due to your experience about warfare and the logistics of this place, you chose this site, which is it? The Prophet according to this narration, he says no, this is not something that was decreed by God. I basically chose this site because logistically it seemed to be a good spot. Why? Do you have another suggestion? Al-Habbab ibn al-Mundir said yes. Ya Rasulullah, I have experience in these matters. Let's go to another place. Let's go closer to there where we're camping and have the wells behind us. It's better because if you remember from last week, there, were, there was an area that had water and wells. So he said, let's change the place. The Prophet found his suggestion, a great suggestion. So he moved to another place. Some of our scholars and researchers, they take issue with a narration like that and they don't believe it's an accurate narration. Why? Why do you think they dispute it? Why would the Prophet take advice? He would take advice. Remember, Allah commands the Prophet to teach us to consult, consult your companions. So their issue is not with him consulting. You have the idea, but can we just articulate it? Yes. So there are two points. One, the Prophet says that he did, did it on his own. So first thing, Prophet never does anything on his own. Second thing that uh, he actually asked the Prophet, like how do I put this? So Prophet is, um, it's, it's put in that the Prophet didn't know and the companion knew better than Prophet. So The fundamental point here, is that we accept the Prophet consults his companions. There is no 
issue in that because the Prophet is a leader and he's teaching us to always consult. Don't be a dictator and come up with your own decisions, consult. However, if the Prophet wanted to consult, he would have consulted before reaching that site, not after reaching it. The way that this is described, the Prophet is just wandering, he's going to a place, he thinks logistically it's the best place. Then Al-Habbab ibn al-Mundhir, he has to bring it to his attention, you know what, this is not the best place. This is problematic. The Prophet, before you reach there, ask your companions, what do you have to lose? Ask them, we are reaching this big valley, where do you think we should settle? That's fine. But once you drag all of them to one location, only to be told by one of your companions that this is not a good place logistically, let's find a better place. That doesn't befit the character of the Prophet. By the way, other schools of thought, they use these incidents to demonstrate that the Prophet could make a mistake in worldly matters. In worldly affairs, he could make mistakes. In fact, Muslim, Sahih Muslim, narrates a hadith that once <coughs> when the Prophet came to Medina, he migrated from Mecca, he came to Medina. He saw the farmers of Medina in their farmlands, they were pollinating the palm trees. In Arabic we got this talqih, what do you call it in English? Because you have male and female palm trees, in order for the tree to produce dates, you have to inseminate it, right? This is something that the farmers know. Let's say pollinating it. The Prophet he saw the farmers of Medina doing that. He, he asked them, why are you doing that? This is Muslim, Sahih Muslim narrates this. He asked them, what are you doing? They said, Ya Rasulullah, this is natural, we have male and female trees, we're pollinating them. The Prophet says, no, you don't have to do this. Now the Prophet is telling you that. So those farmers, what did they do that year? They didn't pollinate the trees, they stopped, they came down. Because this is the messenger of God telling them, no, this is useless. So what happened is that year, the trees of Medina did not produce dates. So they came to the Prophet, they told him, Ya Rasulullah, this year has been a bad year, we don't have any dates. He said, well why? They told him, well you told us, don't pollinate the trees and we didn't. He's like, oh, in worldly matters I could make a mistake and sometimes I could use my opinions and I could conjecture. If you know better about worldly matters, you do it, don't ask me. This is something mainstream Sunnis believe in. Bukhari makes a reference to it, Sahih Muslim clearly mentions it, many other books mention it. This is an insult to the status of the Prophet for a number of reasons. We reject this and we find this unacceptable. Number one, if the Prophet doesn't know something, why insert your opinion? Say, I don't know. Would you have respect for a leader who doesn't know something very well and he gives opinions? If I visit, if I visit a community, let's say in the month of Ramadan, a community in Canada hosts me for the month of Ramadan, I'm their guest. I go there and I tell them, you know, you have this uh, electrical box in your masjid. I don't think it should be handled this way, handle it in a different way. And then they take my advice and the place burns down because of my misunderstanding of how electrical engineering works. You think anybody's gonna pray behind me anymore? They're going to tell me if it's not your area of expertise, why meddle? 
Keep it to yourself. The Prophet would do that, the Messenger of Allah. <coughs> a normal person, a responsible leader doesn't do that, let alone the best creation of Allah. And this is in their Sahih works. That's number one. Number two, where did the Prophet grow up? In the North Pole or Antarctica? He never seen palm trees in his life. The, a little kid in Arabia knew that you had to pollinate the trees. A little kid knew that. How old was the Prophet when he entered Medina? And he migrated to Medina. How old was he? 53. He's 53 years old and he didn't know that. And he traveled so frequently. His uncles were from uh, Medina. His father was buried in Medina. Is it conceivable that he lived in Arabia on the deserts and they have palm trees and he would come to Medina and other areas? And this basic thing, he didn't know it? That you had to pollinate the trees for it to produce dates? Kids knew that. The Prophet doesn't know it. What kind of insult is this to the personality of the Prophet? By the way, do you know the political motive behind these hadiths? There's a political motive. That maybe when the Prophet appointed Ali or something else or he said this or he, it was a worldly matter and he makes mistakes so we could choose. That's the political incentive. To show that the Prophet sometimes could make mistakes so that if you bring them a Sahih Hadith, well, the Prophet appointed so and so to lead. No, this was not by the instruction of God. It was his own judgment and he can make mistakes in his own judgment. By the way, one, yes. But doesn't that set up like all of, all of the actions and behaviors? For the it questions all the actions and behaviors. That's exactly. Why, why does it make sense? Why do you? Exactly. See, the, the other objection that I have, let's say, let's say, for the sake of argument, theoretically, we assume the Prophet can make mistakes in worldly matters, but not in religious matters, like they say. The Quran, the religious matters, he doesn't make mistakes. Worldly matters, he makes mistakes. Assuming we accept that, we have a fundamental problem over here. We have a dilemma. How do you differentiate between a worldly matter and a religious matter? If you open this door, anybody can come and question everything. Oh, I thought this was a worldly matter. Example, if the Prophet said to the Muslims, go to war, he mobilized them for war like he did for bed. Is this a religious instruction or this is a worldly matter? Especially for those new companions. Sometimes scholars have to figure out if something is like a religious command or it's a worldly social command. Those new companions who just embraced Islam, how could they di di differentiate? How could you tell this is a worldly matter or not? If the Prophet said go to war, is that religious or is that worldly? Who knows? How do you know? Did the Prophet put a sign? Hey people, from 6 a.m. to 12 p.m. I issue religious commands. And then from 12 p.m. to 6 p.m. it's worldly commands. <laughs> How do you differentiate? If you open this door then anybody can question everything and that would be the perfect excuse. If the Prophet gives you a command and you don't follow it, and the Prophet asks you why? I'm sorry Ya Rasulullah, I thought this was a worldly command and you make mistakes in worldly commands. What kind of religion is this? What kind of role model would this be? It's unacceptable. And finally we believe everything the Prophet did is under the religious sphere. Even the cup of water that he drank, even when he would brush his teeth before Salah and all Muslims accept that. If you ask Sunnis, why is it mustahab to brush your teeth before Salah? The Prophet did it. Well the Prophet, did he do it out of religious? And you know, injunction or out of worldly affairs. See, they know deep down in their hearts that everything the Prophet does is religious. 
That's why if he does that, something, that's a sunnah, it's mustahab to follow a sunnah. Well, who said it's a sunnah? Maybe he was doing a worldly thing and he was wrong about it. So, some scholars, when it comes to this incident at bed, that this companion pointed out to the Prophet that this is logistically not the appropriate place, some scholars say, we find this unacceptable. That's not something that happened. Yes, the Prophet can consult before he gets there. Before he gets to the Valley of Bad, or when he gets there, he says, companions, we're here. Where do you think we should settle? Like he did at the Battle of the Trench, when Salman al-Muhammadi had an, uh, an idea to, di to dig the trench, the Prophet liked the idea. But for the Prophet to drag them to the wrong place, that's unacceptable. Yes, brother. Wait, isn't there a verse in the Quran that supports that everything that the Prophet does is... Uh... There is a verse that says everything he utters is wahi and revelation from God. But you know what they say? They twist the meaning. They say everything that he utters about Quran is revelation. But if he says something else, if he does a worldly matter, then no, they twist the meaning. Even though we say it's a general verse. Why are you making exceptions? Why are you limiting the scope of the verse? It's a general verse. But they put a twist to that. They said, meaning when he would speak verses of the Quran, it's from Allah. It's revelation. But it's not talking about worldly issues. That's how they've interpreted it in their tafsir. I, uh, I have a Sunni friend and he told me in uh, Bukhari, they say that the Prophet of uh, he sinned before, like one time, and it's mentioned in Bukhari, I don't know if it is that Some schools of thought, yes, some Muslim schools of thought, not the school of Ahlul Bayt. They believe the Prophet was sinless when it came to tabligh after Islam. But during the 40 years before Islam, he could make mistakes. Some, not every Sunni believes that, some of them do. And they might have some historical references to, to substantiate that point.